0: Recently, uh, Tristan and I have been reading and rereading some uh, biographies about uh, Chinese believers, and one of the things that uh, has always struck me as I read these biographies is the sacrifices they make in order to worship. You know, In some parts of, of that country, uh, they're, where they're not allowed to worship freely, you'll have believers who they get up at 1 or 2 in the morning, maybe you know, blistering summer heat that remains all the way through the night, or it may be cold and wet, winter, doesn't matter, m- middle of the night. They they get out of bed, they put on their clothes, uh, sneak out of their homes, and walk for mile after mile after mile, or, or ride their bikes for miles to a secret location. Maybe it's a cave or a barn. And they slowly trickle in, not all at once, but, but slowly move into this place of worship. They don't want to all come at once so they're not caught. They move into this place of worship and then, for hours they, they sing and they praise and they study the word of God and they uh, confess sin to one another and then before the sun rises they slowly sneak back out all, all the time knowing that they could get caught worshiping and if they get caught worshiping God, they wouldn't just lose their Bibles, they might lose uh, their freedom, they might lose their jobs, they might be thrown into prison where they would uh, suffer and languish and Maybe lose health or possibly life itself. And if they choose, night after night, many times it's not just Sunday, but every night of the week. And I read that and I think, you know, if I lived in that setting, would I I say to myself, yeah, it's worth it to, to pull the covers back and to climb out of bed, and to make the sacrifice, and to take the risk, because God is worthy. Would I, would I say, you know, I, I would like to say about myself, yes, but I don't know. Would I, in that setting, say it's worth it, because God is worthy. I will do anything. I must be with God. I must be with God's people, no matter what the price. And it was easy for me to get up and come today. Matter of fact, you know, I have to. Right? I, don't, I don't usually get up and say, should I go or not go? I, it's, it's, that didn't cross my mind. And this morning was particularly easy. It was a beautiful day today. What a day. You know, there are mornings when I get up and it's cold and it's wet and it's rainy. And I pray for all of you. I pray that you would say to yourselves, it's worth it. I must be with God. I must be with God's people. Because God is worthy. See, that, that, that's my prayer for myself. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be that person that wants God that much. And I pray for our church that we would want God that much I pray that we would grow as worshipers this morning we're going to talk about worship uh, actually the next several uh, weeks first corinthians 11 through 16 so up until the beginning of spring break first uh, corinthians is all about worship some particulars in the worship service in corinth that aren't quite right and so before we get into the particulars of what's happening in corinth i just wanted to talk about worship because worship is the central activity of human life. It's why God designed us to worship. So I thought it would be appropriate as we begin a semester to think and talk and practice worship. Okay? So we're going to start in John chapter 4. If you would, please turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 7. That's where we'll begin. Uh, l- let me give you a little background though as we begin. The, the setting is this. John uh, is, is writing about the life of Jesus and Jesus is at this particular point in time up in Galilee, which is where he's from. And he is on his way to Jerusalem in the south. So he's in the north, he's moving to the south, and the most direct route from Jerusalem, or from Galilee to Jerusalem, is to go uh, straight down the central ridge route from north to south, and you pass through Samaria. That's the, the straightest, it's the most direct, it's the shortest, it's the easiest, it's the safest. But most Jews avoided that route because. They didn't want to go through Samaria because they didn't want to interact with the Samaritans because the Samaritans worshipped God in a different way and different was wrong. If you're a Jew, worship was all of your life and there was a right way to worship and there was a wrong way to worship and the Samaritans worshipped wrong and so they didn't want to pass through Samaria and have an interaction with the Samaritan and defile themselves For worship, because worship was life. And so they would take this long, circuitous, dangerous route around Samaria, avoid it, just so they wouldn't be defiled because the Samaritans didn't worship the right way. Jesus, on the other hand, is not worried about anything defiling him. He cannot be defiled. And so he walks straight down from Galilee through Samaria to Jerusalem. And as he reaches Samaria, he stops because he's thirsty. He stops at a well and he has an interaction with a Samaritan woman. And in the course of that interaction, he teaches her and us about worship. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, shocked, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan and a woman? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water that you're speaking of? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or come all the way here to draw. The woman says, I want that. (laughs) What you just described, that's what I want. Now she didn't really understand what she wanted or what she needed. She just knew when Jesus described it, That's what she wanted. Whatever it is you're talking about, that sounds really, really good. I want that. Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have answered correctly. You have no husband, for you have actually had five husbands. The one whom you now have is not your husband. You have said this truly The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Can we change the subject? (laughs) Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The first point that Jesus makes is this. True worship is not a place. It's a person. True worship has a singular object. It's God. It's not Jerusalem. It's not in Samaria. It's the Father. So the problem was that uh, both the Jews and the Samaritans were caught up in the, the externals of worship. And you know what? We face exactly the same risk. When you think of worship, what do you think of? I think for most of us, we think of a particular event at a particular point in time, at a particular place. There is a particular experience that we have at that particular point particular place that particular time that's worship that's what worship is and we're thinking in very limited terms very bounded terms we're thinking in external terms that's worship i want you to consider a phrase for a moment i know you've never said this phrase you've never thought this phrase but i just want you to think about it for a moment i didn't get anything out of worship today You've never said that. You never thought it to yourself. Right? That doesn't apply to us. But you've been sitting next to someone at some point in time, and they said to you, "And you know, I just didn't get anything out of worship today." I want you to think about that phrase because it really makes no sense at all. I didn't get anything out of worship today. I didn't get anything out of the church. The church service just didn't. I didn't get anything out of church and worship. Well, we are the church, right? So what you're saying is, I didn't get anything out of us today. The the greater area error is, is that we think of worship as something that, that we should get, right? But worship is by its nature what we give to God. Right? We proclaim to God and to those around us that God is worthy. So the the right question is what did God get out of our worship today? What God get out of church? What God get out of us? who are the church, was God pleased? Not what did I experience? Okay? Worship is not about a place. It is about a person. God is the focus. We are not. Donald Whitney said, regardless of what else we are doing, we are not worshiping if we are not thinking about God. We could be thinking about a whole lot of different things. When we come to this moment, and our goal is worship, But our minds are anywhere but God. The Italian poet Dante one time was worshiping and he was so caught up in the worship of God that he forgot to kneel at the appropriate time. His enemies saw that he was standing and he alone was standing and they went to the bishop to attack Dante for this sacrilege he hadn't worshipped properly, he hadn't kneeled at the appropriate time. And this was his response, his defense. He said, If those who accuse me had had their eyes and minds on God as I had, they too would have failed to notice events around them, and they most certainly would not have noticed what I was doing. There are all kinds of hindrances to worship, aren't there? There are all kinds of distraction. Maybe you're really concerned about some of the people around you. You're really concerned about what they think about you even when you're worshiping. And it's very distracting to think about God because you're thinking about them, right? All kinds of hindrances and barriers. Or maybe it's something very simple. You came in this morning and you're tired. It's just hard to stay awake. I got it. I usually can stay awake reasonably well. But when I was sitting in your place, it's hard. Or maybe you're thirsty or you're hungry, Or it's too hot in the room or it's too cold in the room. Or maybe it's something more significant. There there was a burden on your heart and you brought it with you into this moment and you just can't release it. Or maybe there's some sin that God has convicted you of, but you haven't yet said, yes, God, you're right, forgive me. And so there are all kinds of distractions. You know, that is exactly where Satan wants you in this moment. He wants you to just go through the motions of worship without connecting with him because you are distracted by so many things. And so maybe what you need to do right now before we move on is just take a moment and say, God, please, remove the distractions so that I can just think on, on you. Set my mind on you. Second, true worship is not the letter, but it's the Spirit. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation comes from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, The leaders of the Jewish People worshipped the the letter of the law. You could almost say they worshipped the law rather than God. And they were were training the people. They were trying to create a culture in which, in a sense, the law was held actually above God who had given the law. And Jesus says, no, true worship is worship in, in spirit. My translation, that's a small s. I don't know what it is in your translation, but some translations have a small s spirit. Some have a capital S spirit. Uh, Which is it? I think, honestly, that Jesus was intentionally ambiguous. Is it the spirit of God or the human spirit? I would say yes. Yes. Jesus explains. He says, true worship must be in spirit because God is spirit. Not God is a spirit, but God is, in his essence, in his nature, spiritual. God is a spiritual being. And so he made us, as spiritual beings... Unique among all of creation so that our spirit could connect with God's spirit. We could be in personal relationship with God. In fact, when we are born into this world, we are born, according to the Apostle Paul, spiritually dead. Which means not that we have no spirit... But that our spirit is disconnected, it is not drawing life from God. We are separate from God. That's what death means. We are spiritually dead, separated from God. That's how we're born into the world. But the moment that you believe that Jesus died for your sins and paid that penalty, your spirit comes to life. Meaning, God comes and lives inside of you through his Holy Spirit. And his spirit reconnects with your spirit and animates you. And so you are spiritually alive, so now you can worship. You are in relationship with God. That means true worship is spiritual worship. Practically speaking, what that means is you can go through all of the the, the motions externally of worship, but not be worshiping. You can sing loud, and you can pray, and you can praise, and you can raise your hands, and you can get on your knees, and you can put money in the offering plate. You can go through all of those external motions, but if you haven't connected personally and relationally and engaged with God in that moment, listen For the voice of his spirit, through the song, through the word, through what other people say around you. You're not listening and in tune and consciously engaged with what God is saying to you and speaking back to God. Then you have not worshipped. You've just gone through the motions of worship. And that was the problem for the Samaritans. It was the problem for the Jews. It is the problem for us. We just get up on a Sunday morning just because it's habit. We don't stop and think, why am I going and what am I doing and what's the point of all of this? It's to stop and take a moment and, and really connect with God. Third, true worship is true worship. It's worship in truth. Jesus said, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What that means is worship has to begin with the mind. You have to think right thoughts about God, or you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping something else. That's why Paul says, Be transformed how? Through the renewing, the regeneration the refreshment, the enlivening, the invigoration of your mind, think rightly about God or you're not worshiping God. Richard Foster once said, to think rightly about God is in an important sense to have everything right. What he means by that is thinking rightly about God is the beginning point of true worship. That sets the trajectory. You are thinking rightly about God. Let me visually illustrate for you. Everyone worships. Everyone worships something because we're spiritual beings. We will worship. But it might not be true worship. It might not be accurate worship. It might be false gods. It might be self. It might be science. It might be something other than God. But you will worship because there's something in the human heart that needs to praise and proclaim the greatness of something that is... (laughs) more than ourselves even, we will worship. A.W. Tozer once said, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. So true worship begins with true thoughts, truth about God. And in John's gospel, Jesus is the truth. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You want to worship truly? Here's the starting point, it's Jesus. And maybe you came this morning and you just you didn't really understand that. Maybe you didn't think consciously about why you're coming. Maybe you came because a friend invited you and you didn't want to disappoint that friend or lunch was promised afterwards and they're paying. I don't know. Maybe you just you just showed up, but you didn't understand that if you want to worship God, there's just one way to worship God. And that is through Jesus. He's the only access point. He said, exclusively, it's me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want to worship the Father, you must come through me. And so this morning, maybe your decision is to start at the right point and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins and you made a way that I can be connected with God and I can have relationship with God and I can proclaim God's worth because of Jesus. Let me encourage you, if you've never made that decision, right where you sit, you have to close your eyes. You don't necessarily have to bow your head. You can speak in your heart and your mind to God and say, God, thank you. I believe in Jesus. That's truth. True worship also, though, engages the emotion. We're spiritual beings, we're relational beings. We are emotional beings by nature. Relationships are emotional. Isaiah chapter 29. God said, this people, my people, they draw near with their words and they honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their reverence for me, their worship, consists of tradition learned by rote. God was speaking in Isaiah's day to a generation that knew the Bible. They had memorized massive portions of it and they had recited it, but they didn't love God. And what did God want from them? He wanted love. He wanted love. Compare this to the psalmist, Psalm chapter 42. He said, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then he says, when can I come and appear before God in the temple? When can I go to worship? I long to be with the people of God, and I long to proclaim the worth of God with and to God's people. That's what I need. That's what I long for. Relationships are by nature emotional, people. And some of you may say, well, I'm just not as expressive. Okay, I understand that. It may be your your personality. It may be your culture, your training, your background. You say, I'm just not as expressive. Okay, I get that. But you know what? You're still an emotional person because you're a person. And if you think about a healthy, growing relationship, a fundamental factor in that is that you are learning consistently how to, to, to better express Your emotions to one another. Think about a marriage. Does a marriage move forward without the expression of emotion? If you're not sure the answer, it's no. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's no, it doesn't. It gets gets worse. It gets weaker. Husbands and wives, you have to learn how to express your emotion to one another. Even when that emotion may be negative, you have to express. My wife loves expressions of emotion and love to her. One of those for her is, is flowers. Woo! <laughs> I don't get it, right? I mean, I go, you know, you cut it, it dies. I know there's a little packet that makes it live another five hours. But, you know, I go, how about a shrub? How about a shrub, right? Because you bring the shrub home, put it in the ground. it li- You know, in the next year, you still have this expression of love in the front yard. Uh, she wants Cut flowers. And sometimes, you know, she wants cut flowers so much that she reminds me. She had a birthday in January and she said, you know, for my birthday, I would like flowers. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, I don't mind that prompt at all. That's a wonderful thing because I forget. And I want to show her that I love her. So she said, for my birthday this year, I would like some flowers. She said, and I haven't seen carnations in a while. I would like carnations. <laughs> I'm on it. Because I want to show you that I love you. So I go to the store, and you know what I do? Because I love my wife, I think about what I'm buying for her. I'm not kidding. I actually think about it. I don't just walk in and go, Zip, you know, speed checkout, Got it. I don't even have to talk to anybody. I, I, that's not how I do it. I stop. I go, which would she like? You know, they don't have carnations, but this has a carnation in it. So, you know, because I put thought into that, I have engaged with something that's going to make her feel loved. So I actually picked out two bundles this year for her birthday. One had carnations and one said, because I liked that one. And I came home and you know what? I didn't walk in the door and go, here you go. <laughs> Love ya. Don't you feel loved? You wanted flowers? Here are your flowers. <laughs> Whatever, right? No, I took those flowers and I said, they didn't have carnations. But look, This one has carnations in it. And I also got you these because they look so fresh. And I wanted you to have them. I knew you would enjoy them. (laughs) Okay. The point is this. What she really wanted was not simply flowers. I could have given them flowers in a way that would not express love. What she wanted was love. She wanted an expression of emotion. My love for her. She wanted me to engage That's what God wants from us. He wants us to engage. Now, that being said, you can still worship if you don't have positive emotions all of the time. This uh, Psalm 42, you know, the setting is this. The psalmist is lonely and isolated and blue, depressed. And so he takes that to the Lord. He takes that to the Lord. It's not a positive emotion. And if you read the Psalms, which, right, the Psalms is the hymn book. Right, that red book sitting in front of you. We got a red book. They had the Psalms. That's their hymn book. It's poetry set to music. This is what they sang. And if you read the Psalms from, from the front to the back, one of the things you're going to notice is they're not all positive. Actually, a lot of their songs are negative. You know, there's, there's fear and frustration and confusion and anger and sadness and depression. And let's put all of that into poetry and sing about it. Right? I have noticed that we don't do that, right? You can't find a Chris Tomlin song that's about anger, 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 depression, 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 right? I mean, why? Well, you nobody's going to buy that one. Let's do the, only do the praise songs where we're, we're happy. Right? It's not how life works, okay? We have emotion. We are emotional. It's not always positive. But even all of those things can be brought into worship with God. It may even be that you're bored. You say, I'm, I feel bored, God. There are other things that really just are more exciting to me at this moment. We'll take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm bored. But I know that you are greater than all my hobbies, all my interests, all my distractions, all of these things that grab my heart. You're greater because you are creator of all things. You're creator of the beauty. And all of a sudden, you've moved yourself into worship. Okay? Worship is mind. Worship is emotion. Worship is body. First Chronicles 13, verse 8, David and all of Israel was, were celebrating before God with all of their might. Uh, literally, literally, the word is strength. Oh, man, they were, they were sweating in worship. They were into their worship. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is, is the central passage defining uh, God, his nature, and Israel's relationship with God. And it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength, worship God. Because the body is the only tool through which you do anything in life. And so it is the tool through which you worship. And so you are commanded to use your body. Lift up your hands in praise. Bow your head before God. Bend your knees. Fall on your face. You know, in fact, the, the word for worship, Hebrew and Greek, the fundamental word means fall down. Fall down. So for as long as God has been revealing himself and proper worship to his people, he has told his people, fall down. In other words, that's not cultural. That's how God has always commanded his people. Fall down. Engage. Get into worship. Why? Two reasons. First, because the posture of your body reflects what's going on in your heart. You know, if I'm in a staff meeting and I go, you know and I cross my arms and my eyebrows go up I'm sending a signal. Sometimes very intentionally. I'm not buying it, right? Mm, I'm like, no. Oh. what's going on in my heart and my mind is reflected in my body." I have a staff member, no names will be mentioned, but when he gets frustrated at staff meeting, he will lean down and drop his head onto the table. And if he's really frustrated, he'll he'll let it hit, you know? <laughs> he's just trying to So what do you really think? You know? When I want to communicate to my wife that I'm listening and I love her, I don't cross my arms, I lean in. I lean in. I engage my entire body because posture of my body can reflect what's happening in my heart. It's a reflection. I remember going to a, a, a symphony one time in Dallas. Dallas Symphony Orchestra it was a phenomenal performance. At the end of the performance man everybody they just leapt to their feet I remember the setting this the, the the hall was filled with north dallas people now if you're from north dallas please don't be offended but that's a particular culture in north dallas these are pretty wealthy people pretty kind of buttoned down people pretty pretty serious people they're you know they're they're all dressed up in tuxedos except me but you know this is that this is what we've got going on uh, they came to the symphony You know, but when the symphony finished, it was so good, it was so well done. They couldn't contain what was going on inside their hearts, and so these these otherwise staid people just left to their feet. And you know what? They actually clapped. They clapped, and they didn't stop clapping. And some of them even yelled. It was amazing. Bravo! They yelled, and I, you know, I was thinking someday I would love to finish a sermon, and somebody goes, "Bravo!" Yes. Yes, now, you know, I don't want to manipulate that, but, you know, if it just comes on you (laughs) and you just want to stand up and go, bravo, bravo, you know, or you want to give that to the worship team, right, it just overwhelmed these people. So they stood up. What was going on in their heart was reflected in their body. They couldn't hold it back and they leapt to their feet. Bravo. Second reason, the body can direct the heart. So you may not be feeling it, but you can move your body a direction that changes how your heart is actually feeling. That's why I think the fundamental idea of worship is fall down. Fall down, because the most appropriate posture of any human before the creator of the universe is down. Fall down. Have you ever tried that? You ever tried that in worship? Get down. You get below something, physically below something, It is humbling. So when the word says, humble yourself, it's not just a mental exercise. Humble yourself. Get low. When a Jew would sin, conviction came. They would take off all of their comfortable clothes and they would put on sackcloth. It's like a burlap sack. It's something very uncomfortable. And they would go outside and they would go to the ash heap where, where all of the ashes had been, had been dumped from their fire. And they would sit in a burlap sack in the ash heap and then they'd throw the ashes on their head. Because they were choosing to put their body in a posture that was very humbling and humiliating. And I was thinking last night, as so I was going to sleep, I thought, huh, that'd be an interesting experiment, wouldn't it? Try that. Feel a little convicted of sin? Burlap sack. Ashes. Interesting. Kids come home. Mommy, why is daddy in the sandbox? <laughs> daddy sinned. <You> know? <laughs> There's dad. I don't know. I had to I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I don't know if I can go there. Okay? Posture body reflects what's going on in your heart. Posture your body can direct your heart. It can move your heart to a different direction. And so you engage every part of you. Now, for some of you, that may feel really foreign, again, because of your personality or your culture or how you were raised, whatever. But I encourage you to to start in private. Try it. Try it. Bow your head. Get on your knees. Get low. I encourage you to, to feel freedom in here. God's calling you to lift up your hands, lift up your hands. If he's not, that's fine too. If he's calling you to come down front and kneel and pray and confess or friend needs prayer, come, move. You know, we have a culture here that we're buttoned down a little bit. And it may be that God's calling you to stretch, or it may, it may not. But the point is that when you come to worship, you are engaging with God and you need to listen to what God is telling you to do. And so do it. Okay, do it because worship is between you and the Lord. Not all these people around you, but between you and the Lord. And I want you to engage. True worship is the mind, it's the emotions, it's the body, it is the will. When you worship, it changes you and it changes the choices you make. I love this quote from William Temple, former Archbishop of Canterbury. He said, For worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness. The nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrendering of will to his purpose. It is your entire being. It is all of your life. It should be everything that you do engaged with God and proclaiming his worth. That's true worship. Fourth, true worship is not performance, but it is participation. I want you to hold your place in John 4 and turn back to Exodus Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Exodus 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and he pitched it outside the camp. This was the the sanctuary. This is where they worshipped. He would take it a good distance from the camp and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent... That all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, All the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Wow. You see, anybody was invited out to the tent, they could all go out. Whenever Moses went out, they could go out and they could inquire from the Lord. But what did they do? No, they they stayed at their tent, they rose, they might worship for a moment, then they'd get tired and bored, and they would go back inside. Joshua would follow Moses out, and when Moses finished, Joshua stayed. He said, I've got to have more of God. I've got to be with God. In my opinion, the reason that Joshua was chosen to succeed Moses was not because he was the biggest or tallest or strongest or smartest or the best military tactician, but he was the best worshiper and he started as a young man. Will you be that person? Do you say, I must have God? Rain or shine, night or day, I I have to stay. I have to be near. See, no one can worship for you. No one can worship for you. You have to worship, and you have to learn to worship, and you have to grow as a worshiper. So, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. First, engage when you come on a Sunday morning. Engage and take time to, 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 to set aside the distractions and, and think and, and, and pray and, and get prepared. Sing out when the song is going. Sing out. You may say, "Well, I, I don't sing well." Make a joyful noise, right? Not a pretty noise, just a noise. Just make the noise, right? Sing out. You go, well, I I don't like that particular song. Well, you know what? We never do any song that everybody likes, ever. Okay? That's what it means to worship as the body of Christ all generations, from children through retirees, is that no one gets exactly everything that they, they want. We all make sacrifices. Why? So that we can worship together, philosophically. That's why we do one service, same style, both services, because we want Everybody in here together and everybody has to give a bit. So even if you can't sing or you don't like a particular song, just wait the next one you may like or next week. But sing out, right? Engage. Uh, engage in the sermon. Maybe for you that's taking notes. If that helps, do it. I, that doesn't, you don't need to do that for me, but I, I want you to think of ways that help you really dive deep and, and dig in. Uh, I've had friends who wrote poetry during the service because they took the propositions I was talking about, and wrote into poetry. I had a friend; he actually just passed away last week. He would illustrate my sermons. I'd finish a sermon; he'd walk up with his illustration book and he'd say, "Here's your sermon," and he captured the whole thing in a drawing. However, it is for you. My point is: the reason we come here is to engage with God. Second, practice it seven days a week. Seven days a week. Uh, Think of worship as a skill. All relationships require time and investment. You can't grow in your understanding of worship of God and your depth of relationship with him. If this is it for you, it needs to be every day. Set aside time every day when you sit down and you you think on God and you proclaim to God his worth. And as you're engaging in your daily activities of work or play, Saying, let me do this to the glory of God, that is, proclaiming God's worth to those around me in the excellence that I bring, in the skills that I bring. That is worship, okay, in every single facet of all of life. Finally, true worship is God's highest priority. Let me read to you again from John 4, verse 23. It says this An hour is coming. And it now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now listen to this. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God's eyes are moving to and fro. He's saying, will you be that woman? Will you be that man? Verse 28. It says, the disciples came back. They were amazed that Jesus was speaking with the woman. But they were afraid to ask him, what do you seek? Why are you speaking with her? Verse 28, it says, so the woman left her water pot, she went into the city and said to the men, come see this man. Now, yesterday, uh, Trissy said to me, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this before, Brian, but I've never noticed the simple observation. She left her water pot. No, you know, I never thought about that before. She came out to the well for one purpose. She had an agenda. She wanted water. But she got to the well and she found something so much better. And so what did she do? She said, let me leave that. Let me leave what, what I think my agenda was for the day, what life is for me. I found something better than water. Simple statement, isn't it? She, she left her water pot and she said, i gotta tell, I got to tell you about this. i got to tell my whole village, even these people who have no respect for me, i got to tell you, I found it. I found him. I found the one. Come and see. Come, 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 worship with me. Will you be that person? You you leave it behind. You leave your water pot behind, whatever that is. You say, I must be with God. I must be with God. remainder of the semester up through Spring Break, we're going to focus on worship, some specifics in the Corinthian church. We're going to focus on worship, and we're going to practice worship. And I want you to, to be thinking over the next several weeks, how can I become a better worshiper as we close, Tim's going to lead us in a couple of songs to give us an opportunity just to practice worship. I want you to engage. It may be that you need to just sit and meditate. You need to clear out some distractions. It may need be that you need to, to stand and leap to your feet and sing loudly. But I want you to engage with the Lord in this moment. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you'd lead us into your presence. I thank you for this worship team with such skill that they can help us learn to worship you. And I pray, Father, we would... We would take this moment, take this opportunity to set aside our own distractions and think on you.